Thank you so much, choir. Would you join me this morning in the book of Romans? The book of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And I want to read verses 8 through 13. Romans chapter 1, verse 8 through 13. Romans chapter 1 beginning at verse 8 let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. One of the things I always pray about for us is the opportunity, God willing to come and to see you, for I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit, just as I have seen among other Gentiles. Word of the Lord, you may be seated. Says Paul again in verse 12 of Romans chapter 1, when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. I need a push. That's the title I want to give this text this morning. I need a push. When I began to consider, again, one of the other themes as we go through the one another context throughout the New Testament, and I was reading in the same point of time, Ta-Nehisi Coates' book entitled Between the World and Me. He borrows his title from poetic line written by Richard Wright in which he says I quote and one morning while in the woods I stumbled suddenly upon the thing stumbled upon it in a grassy clearing guarded by scaly oaks and elms and the sooty details of the scene rose thrusting themselves between the world and me you've never read the poem, if you've never read Coates' book, you sort of get this inspiration that comes out of that last line of Richard Wright's writing, the sooty details of the scene rose, 
thrusting themselves between the world and me. The book really is, in a nutshell, Coates' letter in a long essay form to his two sons, David and Kenyatta. The book kind of grows out of a question posed to him inadvertently, indirectly, but yet pointedly by a reporter who was interviewing him on the telephone. And the reporter really was sort of dancing around the subject, but eventually after doing so much dancing, drawing the circle with his feet, clarity of what that circle mean or meant, should I say, came to view. And that was, Mr. Coates, tell me in your own words, what does it mean to live in a black body? And then tell me, what does it mean to survive in a black body? And Coates then began to realize that that's a suggestion as well as an encouragement that he needs to write extensively to his two sons in reference to that very question, what does it mean to live in a black body and what does it mean to survive in such a body? His two sons, he knew at the time, were young and they would need to know how to survive. In fact, his oldest son at the time was 15, was waiting to listen to the outcome of the trial of the policeman who killed Michael Brown. And upon realizing, as the verdict was given, that the police would go free, the young man left, ran into his room, and burst into tears. Coates said that he decided not to go in not to console him, not to even encourage him in that moment with consoling words, but instead allow him to cry it out because he wanted him to learn that this is the reality of what it means to live in a black body. This is the world in which now you have to learn how to survive going forward. He did not want to paint the rosy picture that every time an injustice or something wrong occurs in your life, that something or someone will always come to the rescue. In fact, justice, he contend to his son, will probably rarely occur in an incident like such. But instead, I wanted you to cry it out and to see this is the real world and you will have to find encouragement from multiple spaces and through multiple experiences to understand what it means to survive in a context like this. That led me to this passage in Romans chapter one because as I began to read through this Pauline corpus, I started to notice that as I listened to the dialogue of Paul, he often write in a sense that when one reads him, they would think that he automatically knows the person to whom he is writing personally. He knows them so much to the point that when he writes that the verbiage to which he used highly suggests 
that I've seen, I've interacted, I've touched, I've felt, I've known this person in the environment to which they sit. Romans is one of those letters where Paul never actually visited Rome. In fact, he never even started the church at Rome. It is argued that it was started by some others who heard on that magnificent day of Pentecost, the gospel in their own language went back and started a church in Rome. Paul's letter is one of those in which in listening as I previously noted, he sounds like he knows them so well if you listen to his salutation or his greeting. He always introduces himself as Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, a bond servant, and periodically he will drop the name of Timothy and Salvatius, who likewise labored with him in the ministry as well. But he always identified himself as a bond servant, a doulos who serves Christ willingly at the calling to which he has been given. That's a critical point because in reading Paul, we get this immediate insight that Paul is an encourager to whomever he writes. When you read all of his writings, you pick up immediately as you get through each of the corpus that Paul is focusing on encouraging his recipients to stand tall in the faith, to be obedient to the word, and to trust God that no matter your context, no matter what body you live in, you will always survive because greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in the world. He admonishes his listeners, particularly in Rome, to remember that in working with God, in allowing Jesus Christ to remain preeminent as the center of your life, God works all things together for the good. And if you trust him and believe the word by faith that not only is his grace sufficient, but through the Holy Spirit, God will always lead you and guide you. Nothing shall be able to separate you from that love to which God has given you by being his created image and declaring in your life and in the body that you are indeed the image of God. As the encourager, Paul writes to do one primary thing to stimulate the listener who receives his word. The word stimulate just simply means, Paul says, I'm urging you, I'm pushing you forward, not backwards, not to remain stagnant where you are, but forward because God is a forward-moving God. Never stagnant, but always progressing. In fact, one way to really see how Paul is the kind of servant who is bent on stimulating the people of God, I want you to join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 
and listen to what Paul says to a congregational life in Corinth who were not used to being pushed when they needed a push. They were more comfortable in receiving their inspiration from the world to which they were surrounded by. But now as Paul writes and closed both his letters to them, he reminds them that my job is to stimulate you to a higher walk in Jesus Christ. We can argue that the word, because the word encouragement has a number of different synonyms that it uses, but stimulation means that Paul says, I have been called and assigned to push you along because life can bring you to a screeching halt and if you're not careful, you will remain there and by remaining there, you not only become stagnant, but you don't grow in kingdom business. But my job is to push you and to let you know you cannot stay here as long as you desire, but you must be moved ahead because God is in the business of moving forward. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and beginning in verse 11. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these words, be joyful. In other words, let me stimulate you that although your context does not permit itself to be exposed to joy, you have to find in yourself in the dark context the joyfulness that you have in the Lord. He may have given us indirectly a reference to 1 Samuel chapter 30 when David returns back to the town called Ziglag and observes that the Amalekites have stolen, taken possession of everything that he had owned. When David came back and realized that all he had was lost, even his wife and his children, all of his possessions, the Bible says that David was not only threatened by those who were with him because they had lost their possessions as well, they even suggested that we may need to kill David because he has cost us everything that we have. But read that verse in second in 1 Samuel chapter 30, I think it is around verse 8 or so, I'm not sure, but it says David encouraged himself in the Lord. In other words, David had to find in that moment of darkness in which the context did not lend itself to joy, David had to find in God and he raises the question, Lord, what should I do? Should I stand here and do nothing or should I pursue the Amalekites and reclaim that which I have lost? God said one word, pursue. In other words, I'm not a God who sits still, and I won't allow you to sit still in that space to where you are. I am going to push you along and tell you that even though it doesn't look joyous, remember the joy of the Lord is your strength. And sometimes you have to remember that where you are, you may not find it to be a joyful experience, but remember your joy ain't in the circumstance. Your joy is in the Christ who is at the center of your life. 
So Paul tells the Corinthians, be joyful. But then secondly, he says, grow to maturity. He says, since you're already here in the trouble, you might as well find encouragement through the Lord in yourself, but also don't stay in a situation and don't learn something while you're there. It's an awful thing to walk through hell and never learn how hot hell actually is. So if you've got to be there, learn something, and then on your way out, remember that which you have just came through so that the next time something occurs, you know not to allow that moment to get the best of you. So he tells them, grow to maturity. You need encouragement, says Paul. You need to be able have, to have someone to push you and even push yourself because you will walk through dark moments if you expect to mature in kingdom business. The bottom will drop out. The sun may look like it will refuse to shine. The staircase will be a deep, steep climb. You will know when you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. You will know what it means to be so painful that you wonder if you will wake up the next morning. It's a part of maturity. You cannot get to the level of height in God in terms of knowing him in a very personal way unless he takes you or permits you to walk through some very difficult moments. Growing means growing pains. It means to be displeased. It means to be uncomfortable. It means to be pushed out of your comfort zone. You cannot grow unless you're willing to be made uncomfortable. You cannot mature unless you understand the cost of moving past your immature state. And so Paul says, be joyful. But secondly, he says, grow and mature. But then he says, remember, since you are not on this journey by yourself, look at the next word, encourage one another. Encourage each other. Find a way in your darkest moment to encourage someone who may be in a darker moment. Or find a way to remember, don't concentrate too much on the issue that you have because in helping someone else it helps to relieve the stress of your own context. If you're willing to reach out while God is reaching in, you will have more than enough in the provision of giving out and you will wonder where did all of that come from in the overflow of who you are. Remember, that's what we talked about last week, living out of the overflow of God's grace and God's sufficiency. And you come to realize that as I go through my pain, I realize that I'm not the only one who needed a push, but God is using me to give someone else a push who otherwise may not find the push on their own journey. So he says, be joyful, grow to maturity, encourage each other, live in harmony 
and peace. He's saying don't allow life's frictions to create the heat that will cause you to overheat. But instead, find a way to stay cool in the midst of the heated context. I'm pushed back to, I think it's Daniel chapter 3, when the three Hebrew boys are in a fire. They're in a burning context in which the heat has been turned up. And the king is certainly influenced that the turning up of the heat would quickly consume the three boys who were defiant of the king's law. But what they did not understand was that the three Hebrew boys, their hand was not controlling the thermostat. But it was the God of their salvation who had been good to them where their joy was found in the midst of a burning furnace. Oh, they found joy because when the king looked in and discovered that it was not just the three, but their joy had summons a fourth one who looked like the son of man. In other words, when you find your joy in the darkest moment, it's not just you in that moment all by yourself, but it's the friend who sticketh closer than a brother. It's the bridge over the troubled water. It's the hope that looks like it's standing in the hopeless situation. They found their joy knowing that God is the one who controls the thermostat in the heat of the moment. So they were able to live at peace and harmony even though the king was on the outside looking in. They not only found that, but they found peace and harmony because the Bible says they were protected, obviously, by God's protection, provision, and his grace. You read the, the word in Daniel 3, it says that when they came out of the furnace, their clothes was not even burned. The smell of smoke was not even in their hair. You've got to ask yourself the question. The word says that the king turned the temperature up seven times hotter. Consumption was immediate. But that might be why David says, fret not thyself for evildoers because they will soon be cut off. In other words, maybe the Hebrew boys are trying to tell us when they turn it up seven times hotter, they don't know they've turned up grace seven times hotter. And Joseph said, let me add my two cents, what they meant for evil, God means for the good. And maybe when God allows you to walk where you are and be where you are, to have to go through that difficult moment, cancer diagnosis. Who, who wants a cancer diagnosis? Nobody wants that. 
heart attack. Who, who wants to have a heart attack? A stroke. Who wants to suffer with long-term ailments? But God's grace enables us for some reason to walk through those dark spaces and when we come out, we come out victorious because we realize whomever turned the temperature up, turned it up, turned it up to harm me, but God turned it up to show me that he holds me. He holds me and protects me so that whenever I'm going through, I don't look like what I've been through. Because grace keeps the countenance where it needs to be. I smile because I sing because I'm happy. And I sing and I smile because I'm free. And it's because I know his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches over me. In the valley, he's watching. In the storm, he's watching. In the furnace, he's watching. On the sick bed, he's watching. In darkness, he's watching. Underneath, he's watching. In the lion's den, he's watching. He allows me to live at peace and to have harmony because he walks with me and he talks with me and he keeps on letting me know that I am his own. He guides my feet, but he holds my hand to let me know that he'll never leave me nor forsake me. Now, listen to what Paul says. Here's a reward. Paul said there's a reward. Paul says, then the God of love and peace will be with you. But I need you to push me, says Paul. We need to push each other that we might witness and experience what Paul is saying in this word in 2 Corinthians 13. We are commissioned in the scripture to love each other, but to come alongside each other, to teach each other, to comfort each other, to strengthen each other, to push us to act in a certain way. And that's what Paul is arguing to do here in Romans chapter 1, pushing us to act in a certain way. Here's the word. Encouragement comes from the Greek word parakaleo, and parakaleo is two words together. Para, which means to be with or to come alongside, but the term kaleo means to call or to exhort or to encourage. So we are called to exhort, to encourage. In other words, to push each other along so we don't remain in the one spot and not grow in the kingdom of God. Listen to this word in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. I'm going to read it in three different translations using the same word exhort or encourage, but yet 
listen to it in its different vernacular. But exhort one another daily. Not periodically. Not when we see each other. But exhort or encourage one another daily. Here's the old King James. While it is still daytime. Or while you still got a chance to do so. But encourage one another daily, day after day. That's the NIV of New American Standard. Day after day, encourage one another. In other words, I need your push every day. Thank God for technology. Because here's how we can do that. I may not can call you, but I can text you. I may not can text you, but I may can send you an email. I may do Instagram. I, I may do Facebook. However, I can get you a message to push you. Hang in there. Keep your head up. Here's a scripture I want you to read. I'm praying with you. I need that push. How many of us have been in a moment where we felt like the world had crashed down on our shoulders and there was that phone call there was that letter, there was that email, there was that text that had that one little line that I needed for survival. That one line I needed to let me know I can't throw in the towel, I can't give up, that there is a bright side somewhere and don't I rest until I found it. How many of us have had that person that had that one little word that caused us to stand up when we were slumped over and to push forward because that's what this text says and a good friend a good friend will do it day after day I know I, I'm, I'm texting you again same time I ain't got much to say just the same thing girl keep on I ain't got nothing new but the same thing God will be with you keep on keep praying keep pushing on don't lose hope Hold on to your faith. Every morning, 7 a.m., ding, there it is, same text all the time. Every day, I check it at lunchtime, same email from same person because God has commissioned us to push, to exhort, to encourage, to hang out with one another. Here's another translation. This is the New Living Translation I'm reading from this morning. This is different. Uses a totally different word, but yet means the same thing. You must warn each other every day. Wait a minute. How do you move from exhort and encourage to warn? Because in encouraging you, I got to warn you, you absolutely cannot give up. You can't stop praying. You can't stop reading the word. You can't stop believing the word. You can't disregard those scriptures you got posted on your mirror in the bathroom. You can't disregard that text that you have. You've got it written out in your car, on your purse, all over your phone. You can't disregard that. Because when you do that, you are letting go of the rope 
that's an extension from heaven down to earth for you to survive in the darkest of moments. So the writer says, I've got to warn you every day to hang tough, to be strong, because I am the parakleio, the one who has been called by God to walk alongside you because the parakletos lives in us that helps us. He walks in us and speaks through us I am the paracleo or paracleo where I am just the human vessel to which God is using to help you along. But I'm helping you because the paracletos, the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of me that allows me to say to you what I've got to be saying. Now that's not enough, Paul says. Remember last week when I talked about the word encouragement was a different word. It was the word paramuphos. Paramuphos means be with, walk alongside, para, but muphos means to counsel, to encourage, to give direction. So remember we talked about last week when I talked to you about from uh, 1 Thessalonians, I think it was chapter 3, when I told you how Paul used in that writing the importance of us realizing how important it is that we help one another. So remember, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I said, and Paul says, you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his children. We pleaded with you. We encouraged you. We urged you to live in a way that God would consider worthy. So my job is to help you, and once again, in Hebrews 3.13, in the New Living Translation, to warn you, God says, I expect for you to live a certain way even when it's not going your way. So here we are in this text of Paul. And Paul says the same here to the Christians in Rome. I want to encourage you. I want to stimulate you. I want to counsel you to a greater productive walk with God. Now here's what I came to tell you. For us to be encouragers to one another... Follow me in Romans chapter 1. Here's the text. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 through 10. Paul says, if you're going to be an encourager, you must be intentional in your encouragement. Listen to what he says. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Let me say first that I thank God through Jesus for all of you because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. That just simply means that in the geographical space that the Roman Empire occupies, it's by reputation folk know that you have a faith that is beyond what you've learned in the Gentile context. You've got something different going on in your life. Whatever it is, it's making you excited, it's making you an encourager to one another, but I'm here to encourage you as well because I have an intentionality to get to where you are so I can not only just hear about how great you are, I want to see it with my own eyes. 
Do you know how exciting it is when people learn about there's an exciting place, there's an exciting place of worship, the people there are exciting, the music is exciting, the preaching is the word of God. There are people who say, I make an intention to come across the geography of a long space just to get to where that excitement is. I'm convinced that when you are doing the will of God and when people are worshiping and working and they are doing so because they want the glory of God to be advocated, God will send people from all across the DMV to come into your space. Do you realize that? Do you realize in this congregation alone, as small as we are, there are people who come from far and near just to come to 10185 Zion Drive on Sunday morning. They pass. They pass other churches. They pass other churches that could very well be more grandeur, that could very well be more harmonious, but they intentionally come here every Sunday for a reason. There's a reason why they show up. Anywhere else, check this out, anywhere else we would quit after one or two times is disappointing. But of all of the drama we've had all over the years, can I preach in this house this morning? All the mess that we've had. There may be some empty spots, but there's some occupied spots as well. There's some folk who still drove here every Sunday who could have went somewhere else. But there's something about little Zion that they've got to come back to every single week because they have an intentionality. Because even though there might be a storm sometimes, there's a calm and a peace that God gives that they are here every Sunday morning. It's right here in the text. And Paul says... I know that you guys had a rough time, but your faith being talked about all over the world. Let me break that down for you so y'all can realize what that means. Because there were folk who dogged us. Who talked about Great Little Zion like I don't know what. And who talked about me like a dog. <laughs> I never had so much criticism in my life. In fact, Nobody in the world ever treated me like that than the way they talked about me in church and talked about greater little Zion. How they claimed, I shall never forget. I shall never forget. A former member told me, we're going to fold. This church will be closed in three years. Y'all going to have to sell assets to pay the mortgage. Unfortunately, in October of 2012, they didn't show up to the mortgage burning service. I didn't see them because I looked for them particularly that I might remind them. We don't fall. We didn't fall. We ain't going to fall. The God I serve won't let me fall. But because we were intentional in preaching the gospel, and intentional and standing. That's what Paul says here. Look what he says. God knows how often I pray for you. 
Day and night I bring you and your needs to prayer in God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news of his son. That's, that's the only reason why I'm still here. That's the only reason why we're still here. That's the only reason why these church doors are still open. Because we keep telling the story about Jesus Christ. One thing he says, one of the things I pray for is that the opportunity, to God willing, that I might come and see you for I long to visit you. But he said, I want to come see you. I have an intentionality that I might come see you. And one thing that will strengthen us, one thing that will grow us is to be intentional in encouraging one another and intentional in developing one another. You got to be intentional, church. It's not going to happen just by mere praying. You got to do some work. You got to put some gloves on. You got to get your hands dirty. There's a second thing Paul says. Paul says in verse 10, not just intentional. There's the next point. You got to be relational. Look what he says. He says in verse 10, he says, one of the things I pray about was the opportunity to come see you. Why? Because I want to see you, God willing, he gives me the opportunity. Look at the first line of verse 11. For I long to visit you. I long to visit you. The phrase there, I long to visit, is a single Greek word that means I want to be relational and be close to you. I want to feel you. I want to touch you. I want to be together with you. I want to feel what makes you excited about kingdom business. That's why we got to get over that petty stuff that separates us, that keeps us at distance. We got to get Satan out, stop him from creeping in in our minds and hearts. We still argue, I shouldn't say argue, but we're still being captivated by petty stuff. They think they're better than we are. What is that? Who, who wastes time doing that? They think they're better than we are. That's why they sing like that. What is? Get a life. Come on, man. We got kingdom souls. There are people who need help. Who need to know how do I survive in this body that I'm in. They need help. Don't got time for that petty stuff. I'm like, the, I'm like the professional football player. Y'all do that in the locker room. But when we come out on game day to play the game, we got to be together so we can win this game. Y'all can fight, throw chairs, eat each other up, do all that in the locker room. Have blood all over the walls. That's just the way our locker room looks. But when we come out here on the field, let's go to war together. Paul said, I want to see you. How bad do you want to see me? I knew that got you thinking right there, doesn't it? Uh, no longer than I have to see you on Sunday, Pastor. I know. How, how bad do I want to see you? Moving on. And so the next line, relational. Relational. Verse 9, verse 10. Clause A of verse 11. But not just intentional, not just relational, but Paul says in verse 11, beginning at clause B, I want a partnership with you. Look what he says. 
He says, I long to see you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow and grow strong in the Lord. That's all I want to do. That's all, Paul. I need a partnership. That's why I'm here to push you. That's why I try to take time to break the text down for you because my job is to help you grow. Because you don't know this, but helping you grow helps me grow. Do you understand that? Just because I'm the pastor with a PhD doesn't mean I know everything and doesn't mean that I understand spirituality to its fullest. Because some folk who have no degree at all understand certain dimensions of spirituality far better than I do because they're not hung up on the spiritual or on the theological technicalities that I am. They just say to me in a very practical way, Reverend, you just need to believe it and move on with it. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, for me, my mind is analytical. I got to break it down. I got to see if it's a verb, if it's a noun, if it's in the first, second, or third, if it's plural. I got to see how, I got to conjugate the verb. I got to see what tense it's in. I, I got to do all that. that. That to me helps me understand. But grandmama said, boy, that's too much work. Just trust the Lord and let God handle it. See that? Because that's when you got a partnership. See, that, that's what happens when you got a partnership. Sometimes the person who doesn't have all that will say, I, I, you know, I don't know it like you know it, but this is what I do know. And then you move on. We need partnerships. Ministries don't operate off of being solos. They're partnerships. Do you hear what I'm saying? You can take a cue from the music ministry. Take a great cue from the music ministry. There's a reason why there's various parts in voices. You can have one, but I want to contend that that one will probably limit you. But when you have multiple, when you have tenors and altos and sopranos and baritones, you can do a lot of stuff. Do you get what I'm saying? So no church can be a one-man or a one-woman show. But we're all in the same body so that we can encourage and maximize each other's gifts by contributing. That's what Paul said. Paul said, that's why I want to come see you because I got something to give to you, but you also got something to give to me. So look what he says. He says, look at verse 12. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. Intentionality, being intentional. Second point, being relational. Third point, partnership. Fourth point, discipleship. I need to learn from you, and you need to learn from me. There it is right there in the text. Don't argue with Murphy. Argue with the text. There it is. Verse 12. Verse 12. And 13 he says, I want to do it. I want to work among you because I want to see spiritual fruit. 
because I've seen it in other Gentile congregations that I've done, Corinth, Philippi, Thessalonica, Galassi. I've seen it work there. And if it worked there, I believe it will work here. And so I want to see you and I want us to get into the partnership that we might grow each other by way of discipleship. That I might learn from you and you learn from me. And there's a reason why I can do what I do and you can do what you do. That's because God designed it where not all of us have the same gift in the sense of it contributing to a particular body. But we're different. We're different. We, we are different because God says that diversity creates glorious discipleship. And that's what attracts people. That there are no big eyes and little U's. But everybody seemed to be on the same page. Pushing. Pushing for the kingdom of God. I'm done. I got one question for you. When you leave here today, are you going to push somebody? Are you going to actually help somebody in their discipleship development? Are you going to let somebody push you so you can move to another level of discipleship development? Are you going to hang out where you've been hanging out for the last five years? Because here's, here's a measure. Today is June 2nd. If you are on June 2nd in the same space you was on January 2nd of 2019, you're not growing. You're not growing. You may not be growing because you have either been hindered. That's why Paul says every time I want to come, I wanted to come, but something always came up. The original text says that, that that meant that something always prohibited. He had it planned. This is for all y'all who love goals and objectives. You got it planned, but you can't get there. For all y'all who love goals and objectives, read Acts 16. Paul had it planned that he wanted to go to Bithynia. That was his goal. That was his objective. He wanted to take the gospel to Asia. He was bent. Come hell or high waters, he was going to Bithynia. You read Acts 16, it says, but the Holy Spirit set up roadblocks. And he couldn't get there. And that's because God didn't want him to go to Bithynia. He detoured him where in the nighttime, while Paul was sleeping, he saw in a dream a man who said to him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Help us grow where we are, Paul, not in Bithynia. I'm just trying to tell you, you can have all the goals Jacob, you want. If God ain't in it, and if God hasn't ordained it for you to go there, you ain't going to get there. And that's what discipleship is, learning that I'm really not in control totally of my destiny. I got some contribution, 
but it's really up to God because I want to go one way and God turns me another way. I'm not the only one who's had that experience where you were, you were hell-bent on going a certain direction, but the Holy Ghost set up roadblocks and you couldn't get there. You were saying, Lord, you must not like me. I must not be, I, I mean, you must not be caring about me. I ain't got no favor with you anymore. No, no, no God said, there's something else I want you. We may get there. We may get there. But I got something else, somewhere else I want you to go. Somewhere else I want you to go. And Paul ends up going to Macedonia, preaching, transforming lives like unbelievably because God will do that sometimes because discipleship means I must yield to my master and Paul said I want to see you so that I could give you and you could give me I can grow from your faith and you can grow from my faith there are some things that you have experienced I will never experience I will never know what it means to walk where you have walked there are some places I've been, you will never know what it means to walk where I've been. But that's the victory of growing from your faith and my faith, and we grow from each other. That's the glorious thing about letting God use us to make disciples. And here's a final note. You can rest assured there's somebody else out there who has a similar story to you and I, and they're just waiting for us to long to see them that we might bring to them what God has for us to do. And here's the caveat. We don't know how God going to use them to bring to us what God has in store. Amen? Amen. I need a push. I need a push. Let's push each other. Let's push each other. Let's push each other. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit.